HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network, broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Akiko Kotema, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from our studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deli in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people. I'll try to demystify this program with my good guests. And my guest today is Stephen Lyman, who is a shochu expert and the founder of a website called Kanpai.us, the theme of which is bringing izakaya culture to West. And uh, he also organizes shochu tasting events frequently and serves as a shochu ambassador for the traditional distillates. And shochu is a very important alcohol beverage from Japan, but it's not known as much as sake outside of Japan. So Stephen's role is truly valuable. And Stephen joined us on episode 23 and gave us shochu 101 with lots of interesting details. So today we'll discuss his recent experience as an apprentice at a shochu distillery and his new book about Japanese uh, drinking culture and much, much more. But quickly before we start, Japan Eats is available on Heritage Radio Network website anytime, uh, anywhere in the world, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and now on Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and uh, Spotify and subscribe to Japan Eats. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Also, if you have any ideas about topics of the show or show guests, please let us know. And you can email us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or akikokatema.com. Now let's start our conversation with Stephen Lyman. Hi, Stephen. Welcome back. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. So uh, so first of all, for listeners who have not listened to episode 23, uh, tell us about uh, who you are and how you got into Shochu. So I'm actually a college professor 
And <laughs> I discovered shochu at an izakaya in New York uh, about 10 years ago. And I just fell in love with the product. And there wasn't really any English language information at the time. Mm. So I started a blog uh, that turned into a website that's turned into a second career. Mm. I, I think uh, it's a second or the both first <laughs> professor and the shochu expert. So, um, so now uh, I heard that you now serve as the official ambassador of shochu. So could you tell us about it? I was designated as a Cool Japan ambassador for Honkaku Shochu mm. uh, by the Cool Japan program, which is a collaboration between uh, the Jap Japan National Tourism Organization and uh, JETRA, the Jap Japan External Trade Organization. Mm, right, and I think Cool Japan is a really um, big budget governmental project, and some, some of it goes to um, anti-tourism organizations, and it's a huge project, so that sounds wonderful. Hi. Um, so the the sake industry is going through difficult times, but uh, um, you know what about shochu? How shochu industry is doing right now? So shochu was a regional uh, product from Kyushu in southern Japan for most of its history, about six hundred year history. And in the nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties, shochu finally broke out in Japan and and became a national uh, beverage. And in 2006, actually, shochu passed sake for the first time in sales, and it stayed ahead of sake. But because Japan's population is shrinking and aging, they're drinking less. So the domestic uh, sales for both sake and shochu are uh, currently in decline. Mm -hmm. um, and so exports becoming increasingly important. Right. And, uh, well, luckily for shochu, um, I think in 2003, there was a, a Japanese media news uh, saying it's good for your health like in red wine in this country. So there's a peak of uh, sales. I think uh, it peaked in 2015. But then we'll see what happens. So it's up to you, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. Right. <laughs> um, so, um, so for listeners who are not familiar with shochu, so could you tell us about uh, what shochu is and uh, why you like it so much personally? So shochu is a um, distilled spirit. It's the traditional distilled spirit from Japan. Uh, distillation arrived in Japan about 600 years ago. Uh, nobody's sure exactly how it got there, but it's believed that the first shochu was actually distilled sake. Mm. Uh, so it was essentially a rice shochu. They made sake and then they distilled it. And um, today, shochu can be made from all sorts of different ingredients. The most popular are sweet potato, barley, and rice. Mm. However, you can make it from about uh, 50 different approved ingredients. A uh, couple of rules for shochu, though. One, it has to be made with koji, which is a similar process to sake making. Mm -hmm. Koji is a mold, specific mold. That's right. It's a, it's a mold that uh, causes sac sacrification. It breaks the starches into sugars mm. uh, so that the yeast can convert the sugars to alcohol. Right. And the koji is used to ferment almost every Japanese fermented product, soy to miso to everything. That's right. That's right. Uh, it's very central to Japanese uh, cuisine and beverage. And uh, it also has to be, uh, it can only go through a pot still one time. So mm -hmm. a traditional pot still, which is a single distillation. Most spirits traditions uh, use a, what they call a stripping run, which is where you take the liquids out of the mash, mm -hmm. and then a spirits run. So they run it through the still a second time. In shochu, you're essentially drinking the stripping run. So mm -hmm. it, they only run it through the still once. And then the final thing uh, that's a rule for uh, authentic shochu is you can't add anything to it except for water and thyme. Mm. So you can't add any artificial flavorings, any sweeteners, anything like that. Mm. Right. So it's only the natural power. That's, that's right. the flavor. Okay. And and so, so your second part was, why did I fall in love oh yeah, with so, it? Um, so, yeah, why you like it personally. But before that, I think a uh, very important part of shochu is uh, the alcohol content 
versus wine or versus other spirits. So maybe you can tell us about... Sure. So that's actually a good point. And I said the only things you can add are time and water. Most shochu is actually distilled before, or sorry, uh, dis- diluted before bottling. Mm. Uh, the most common alcohol percent is 25%, which is higher than wine or sake or beer, but it's lower than most other distilled alcohols. Mm, which is like 40, 45%. That's right. Some whiskeys, uh, if they're uh, barrel bottled, forget exactly, barrel proof, mm. they would be over 50% alcohol. <laughs> And there's actually some uh, some other spirits that might be 60 or 70 percent alcohol. So 100, what is that? 120, 140 proof. Right. Or shochu is about 50 proof. And what that does is it actually makes it pair really well with food. Uh, mm. Distilled spirits usually don't go very well with food. They're going to overpower the burn of the alcohol will overpower the flavors mm. of the food. But shochu, because it's through, comes through the still one time, it retains a lot of the flavors of the original ingredients. Um, and then also with the dilution, it gives you a really nice food pairing. So it's interesting to find those combinations. Mm. And that's actually how I fell in love with it. I was a wine drinker and a beer drinker who liked pairing my beer and my wine with food. Mm. And discovering a spirit that I could do that with was just a great discovery. Interesting. Yeah, and one thing personally I found, uh, the shochu is lighter because of, I think, the, the lack of sugar because it's distilled, compared to wine, beer, sake, which I enjoy with food as well. But uh, I think it's softer on your body. I would say that's true from experience. Uh, Because there isn't any residual sugar, your liver actually has a hard time processing alcohol and sugar. Mm. So alcohols that contain both actually are more likely to give you a hangover, Uh, where distilled spirits are less likely. Although because of the higher proof, you can also dehydrate yourself much more easily. Mm. So shochu strikes a nice balance in that is that it's lower proof without residual sugars. Right. Okay. So the second part of my question was why you like it so personally. But is it kind of like answer the question? It's softer your body and uh, maybe flavor-wise you like? I really like the diversity. It's more about how it's made than what it's made from. So the flavor spectrum is just tremendous because you can have carrot shochu. You can have shochu made from what we think of just, you know, regular potatoes or different varieties of sweet potatoes or... There's even a shochu made of the root of kudzu, ah, which is the starch. Uh, the starch, right? So there's all sorts of different things that you can make shochu from, and all of those ingredients lend different flavors. You can mm. also use different species of koji. Wow. So white, yellow, or black. Yellow is what's used for virtually all sake production. Black koji actually originated in Okinawa mm. for awamori production. Okay. And white koji is actually a, a genetic mutation of black koji, but it actually changes the flavors and aromas of the shochu based on which koji you're using. Mm. I'm curious. So yellow, white, black, what's the flavor difference in shochu? So yellow tends to be quite floral mm. and aromatic, where black koji is really rich and earthy. It's, it's an ancient mold, mm. the, the black koji from Okinawa. And white koji uh, is really sort of round and smooth and a little bit sweet. Mm. So they all really give different flavor profiles. Uh, there's one brand in the States, uh, Hozan, the Hozan brand, that they sell white, black, and yellow koji sweet potato shochus huh. in the States. So if you're curious about that, I think that's one brand that you could look for. And look for Satsuma Hozan, which is white koji. Kicho Hozan is black koji. And mm. Tomino Hozan is yellow koji. Mm, right. so, so, of course, it's imported. Made in Japan and it's imported That's to right. the state. Okay. So, I'll look for them. Right. Um, okay. And uh, so, well, that's very interesting. So, the majority of uh, distillers use black koji still? Actually, white koji is most popular currently huh. because of the, the round and soft and, and sweet flavors. Mm. Black koji is... Uh, 
like I said, more earthy and rich. Mm. Um, and yellow koji is actually very uncommon because it's difficult to work with in a warmer climate like Kyushu. Ah, okay. Right. So that's natural element. Well, the other thing I, you know, that's interesting that white koji style of lighter um, shochu is most more popular versus, you know, when I grew up, when my dad's generation, the shochu tend to be said stinky, very, you know, like in your face, um, really aromatic flavor, which could be like cheese. Love to hate it. Um, but I think uh, there's a pressure, right? New technology of uh, the lower pressure process. That's right. There's a vacuum still, which is actually a perfume still. Uh, traditionally, shochu was made in an atmospheric pot still, so it boiled at atmospheric temperatures. But in a vacuum still, it's like a pressure cooker, so you're, cook you're boiling the mash at a lower temperature. Mm. And when you do that, you'll capture lighter aromas and flavors, not mm. as rich as you would in a full temperature boil. Right. And as a result, you end with much, much lighter, easier drinking shochu. Mm. And uh, some of the most popular brands now have moved in that direction because it's much easier for everyone to enjoy, mm. as opposed to what you're thinking of, I think, is probably what in Kyushu they call imokusai, mm. which means stinky sweet potato. <laughs> and that's the really traditional style which shochu lovers really enjoy, but it really turns off a lot of regular mm. drinkers. Right. Interesting. Okay, so now let's talk about your unique experience as an apprentice at the traditional shochu distillery. So, uh, first of all, when and where did you work? So I have worked now for five years, five seasons at Yamato Zakura in mm. Ichiki Kushikino Shi in Kagoshima Prefecture. Let's say it fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we haven't started drinking yet, so okay. maybe I can. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, so Ichiki and Kushikino are actually two small, small towns that merged uh, in 2006 to uh, make a larger uh, municipal government. And uh, Ichiki is actually known for shochu. Kushikino is actually known for tuna, for, mm. for maguro. Huh. And so uh, if, if you're an Ichiki shochu maker, you'd call it Ichiki shochu, mm. not Ichiki Kushikino shochu. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, um, so that really says, you know, it's a shochu, again, it's very regional, like terroir-driven, and that name really shows something very terroir-bound. Okay, and uh, so how long did you work this year at uh, Yamato Zakura? This year I worked for three weeks uh, yeah. at Yamato Zakura. We were actually making a tokubetsu shochu, which means special shochu. Uh, typically when I've worked there in the past, I've put in, I'd say, 12 to 15-hour days. Mm-hmm. And because we were making this special shochu, the process took longer, so it was 16 to 18 hour days. Mm. And normally I had Sundays off in the past, and this time I worked every day for three weeks. <laughs> I got three afternoons off, which meant I started work at 6 a.m. and I finished at 3 p.m., mm. and then that was the afternoon off. Wow, I'm so. curious what you did when you were off, slept? I, I slept. <laughs> <laughs> right, but I'm sure it was amazing three weeks. Right. Um, so maybe you can tell, um, tell us what kind of distillery Yamato Zakura is, like history and, you know, whatever it is. So Yamato Zakura is a small family-run distillery. Uh, they're currently on their eighth generation toji. Mm. Uh, they opened, they're not exactly sure of the year of origin, but it's somewhere around 1850, mm. so between 1850 and 1855. And they... Um, they used to hire their tojis. This, this is an interesting aspect of shochu, is that in the past, shochu tojis, and I think it was sa the same for sake, not necessarily the tojis, but at least the, the workers were actually farmers mm. who would go and work in the breweries or distilleries after the harvest so that um. they could continue to work. 
but what would happen in shochu is because there's different seasons for the different harvests. You have sweet potato, barley, rice, black sugar. There's all these different styles. Mm. And the tojis, the master uh, distillers, actually would travel from distillery to distillery based on which ingredients were being harvested. Wow. And so Yamato Zakura for a long time was hiring tojis. Mm. Uh, and then they hit on hard times when shochu was not popular at all back in the 60s and 70s. So the eldest son of the company, when he took over, he decided he would learn how to make shochu. Mm. So the current Toji's father uh, was the first member of the family to actually be a Toji in several generations. Interesting. Wow. So are there many traveling Toji now? Do you know? <laughs> I'm not aware of any traveling Toji <laughs> any longer. Right. Uh, there are competing uh, Toji guilds that mm-hmm. have different uh, styles of shochu that they make. And so... Sometimes you'll hear, I don't remember the names of these different guilds, but if it's one style versus another, and it has to do with fermentation temperature mm. and how they process ingredients, that actually changes wow. the, the character of the shape. It's almost like a school of right. some uh, traditional, like uh, Gibana or something like that. Interesting. Okay. Um, so now we know about uh, Yamato Sakura, and uh, Stephen brought some samples. I did. So let's, uh, let's discover what they are. All right, so I brought actually three kinds of Yamato Zakura today. Uh, Yamato Zakura actually means uh, mountain sakura or cherry blossom, mm-hmm. to speci- specific species. And uh, I think the first thing we'll try is actually the main brand. And it's white koji with uh, kogane sengan, which mm-hmm. is the most common sweet potato to be used in uh, shochu production these days. Mm-hmm. So Stephen just poured uh, hot water in a glass. With the logo of Yamato Sakura. That's right. It's a little chilly in the studio today, so we're having oyuwari shochu, mm. which is a uh, a style in which you have hot water mm-hmm. mixed with shochu. We're actually doing a oyuwari shochu happy hour tonight at Uminoye in the East Village, if anybody's around. Mm. From what time to what time? From 7 to 9. Okay. And I'll be giving uh, oyuwari lessons, and sure. uh, everybody can come and enjoy discounted shochu. Mm. Okay, so so the that's uh, what's the proof? This is twenty five percent alcohol. Hmm. Kampai. Kampai. <laughs> wow, very. Um, Inyo no Izeka, somewhat, definitely potato, but uh, flowery too at the same time, and uh, I think hot water makes it more prominent. It does, and I I poured actually more water than shochu, so you were probably at a ten to twelve percent alcohol. Hmm. So much easier to drink. Right. And then well, this is white koji, which is giving you the sweetness, uh, mm. and it's more mild than you would get with a black koji. Okay. And, but the, the sweetness is deceptive. It tastes almost like there's a sugar in it. That's, That's right. Right. But there's no sugar, and it's like completely clean. Wow, it's amazing. So that's Yamato Zakura. And what's the koji in it? This is white koji. Mm. And uh, Kogani Sengan. Yamato Zakura uses local Kagoshima rice and Kagoshima sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. You mentioned terroir earlier, and actually... The sweet potatoes from Kagoshima mm. have that because of Sakurajima, which is a volcano. Mm. And the volcano is very active and it erupts uh, actually several times a day wow. during certain times of year. Mm. I mean, it's obviously it's a volcano, so it does what it wants. But um, at one point it was erupting three to four times a day. Wow. So it, made it, it was the most active volcano on Earth. And then it went dormant for several months. Mm. And then it blew its lid. And there's you, you can see on YouTube these videos of like lava plumes wow. you know, spouting out of the volcano but all of that ash ends up in the soil in the mm. topsoil so you get really black earthy ashy soil mm. and 
the potatoes love that minerality. Right. And so they grow like weeds. And then it also imparts an ashiness to the potato flavor, which mm. is something that you don't find with sweet potatoes from other parts of Japan. Okay. Yeah, I heard uh, actually um, one of the farmers market in Union Square, uh, she told me, well, if you want to make vegetables sweet and more taste, you know, like uh, tasty to the consumers, you have to put a lot of minerals. So Sakurajima is evaporate, uh, erupts and then naturally it's really like a good um, soil. That's right. It's probably producing. That's amazing. Okay. So I'm sorry if I poured you too much, but... Uh, it's okay. <laughs> I also served these, uh, you can't see it because we're on the radio, but I served these in traditional uh, Oyuwari shochu glasses for, mm. for Kagoshima. And uh, I'll post a picture on Instagram later. Yeah, people can well, see. it looks like almost like a small water glass, but the, it's, it's, the shape does also straight up and then smaller mouth than the whiskey glass. So that concentrates the flavor. That's right. And also it has markings on the back if you want to do 50% or uh, 40% water mm. to shochu ratio. Right. That helps you decide uh, uh, interesting. what ratio. So like two stars in on the glass, so you can just easily see it. Right. So is it the standard shape of a glass? Only in Kagoshima. This ah. is very specific to Kagoshima. I haven't really seen shochu brands outside of Kagoshima that have glasses like this. Mm. So Kagoshima is really focused on potato. That's maybe related to the shape. That's right. They, they actually, uh, the Satsuma <laughs> domain uh, before prefectures was, they called it the shochu kingdom. Mm. Uh, and sweet potato shochu is what they made. Sweet potatoes were actually introduced to Japan by a fisherman mm. from Kagoshima. Okay. Uh, and that's how uh, shochu... Sweet, uh, sorry, sweet potato shochu began because they were growing too many potatoes to actually eat. Mm. Potatoes start to rot as soon as you harvest them. And right. They had to do something with all those potatoes, mm. so they started to make alcohol out of them. Ah, okay. Because it's such a hot area, can things get rotten easily? That's Interesting. Right. So, listeners, uh, if you are drinking potato shochu, a straight up, <laughs> smaller mouse glass. That's right. Right. And the, well, this, the, the important point is oyuwari and mizuwari. How do you, you know, choose? When it's right. Of course, today is cold. It's the. That's right. So, uh, oyuwari, which is the style we're drinking, which is mixed with hot water, mm. you always pour the hot water first and then the shochu on top of it because the convection will actually release the aromas of the shochu. Mm. If you pour it the other way, you'll suppress the aromas. Okay, it doesn't circulate in the in the glass. That's right. It just circulates the other way, so the water comes to the top, and then mm. you end up not smelling the shochu, mm. which some people actually like that style. They'll actually ask for a reverse of their oyuwari. Interesting. Um, but. The reason that people like to drink it warm, I think, is both because it's, it's warming, but also because it uh, releases the aromas and then it gives it a really nice flavor and mouthfeel mm. uh, when it's warmed. Right. Where mizuwadi, which would be mixed with cold water, uh, it has the benefit of dilution mm. and it makes it easier to drink. I actually like mizuwadi uh, imo shochu, sweet potato shochu with sushi. Hmm. When you dilute it enough, even though I think of sweet potato shochu as being full-bodied and really flavorful, mm -hmm. when you dilute it and it's cold, it goes really nicely with sushi. Mm. Well, interesting. Well, that's uh, it's kind of deviating a little bit. But sushi, uh, what do you pair with sushi? And this is a big question. There was a discussion the other day. Um, people say, no, never sake. But I think rice and sake. Rice is, um, you know, ingredient of sake and sushi. So... That should be good, but uh, the contrast in green, green tea is better. But the shochu, what do you think in general? Shochu is easier to pair with uh, sushi? I, I think I like uh, shochu with sushi, uh, not just because I love shochu, mm. and I also love sushi. Uh, but I, I do think that 
the dryness of shochu can actually help accentuate the flavors of the sushi. Mm. Um, where sake tends to be a little bit sweeter. Um, the other thing I like to drink with sushi is beer. I, it, as a palate cleanser, mm. you're, it's refreshing your mouth for the next for Some the next bubbles taste. as well. Mm, interesting. Okay. Um, all right. So let's move on to the next one. All right. Well, then we have to bottom, <laughs> bottoms up. <laughs> Mm. Very nice. So the next one, actually, I think maybe we'll try this one straight, at least to start. This is a, a beni imo, so purple sweet potato. Mm. This is actually being made right now. Okay. Uh, Yamato Zakura. Um, so what is the difference between regular potato and this beni imo? Beni so means red. That's right. So uh, these are purple sweet potatoes, which are essentially the kinds that you might find in Whole Foods mm. here in the States. So they're food potatoes. These are actually, it's a more expensive shochu style because you're competing on price with restaurants and supermarkets and mm. regular consumers. Where Kogane Sengan, the first one we tried, is only used for shochu. Mm, so it's, wow. a, it's a potato that was actually cultivated specifically for high starch content, mm. high crop yields, and really nice flavors and aromas. Mm -hmm. Where the purple sweet potatoes have many other uses. So they only make this seasonally. And the, and the reason they're making it now, because the shochu harvest actually finished in December, but they can make it now because you can store purple potatoes without them rotting. Huh, the Kogane Sengan will start rotting because I don't know why exactly. Mm. Well, I heard uh, actually, uh, you know, the purple potatoes that you, you can find in Whole Foods and the supermarkets, and compared to white flesh potatoes, it's better on your, I think, digestion or whole, I don't know why exactly, but it's uh, overall it's a healthier potato. Maybe uh, the starch contents or sugar composition interesting right. so these so this is the purple uh, sweet potato shochu or red potato mm -hmm. uh, depending how you interpret and if you smell it unfortunately those at home can't smell it but uh mm. i get a lot of almost uh grape soda yeah right, right. In, it's, in it's the not nose. the potato it's something else right right and, and this is again white koji so yamato zakura uh so white koji was uh first recognized i believe in the 19 teens or 1920s Mm. And Yamato Zakoda has been using only white koji since that time okay. on all of their products. So their variations are actually on aging and what kind of potato they use. Mm. Aging, that sounds interesting too. Right. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a very elegant, almost a feminine flavor. When uh, the toji from Yamato Zakoda visited New York a couple of years ago, by far this was the most popular among American consumers. Wow. Was this purple style. I mean, the mouthfeel, it, it sounds crazy, but... Uh, this reminded me of like tea, some kind of tea, some complexity in it. Right. So what's the proof? This is again 25%. Hmm. Although this time we're drinking it uh, undiluted, so we're just having this one straight. Mm. Right. Wow. There's so many different ways to this one. So this can be, of course, um, drunk with hot water as well. Yes. This right. one I actually really love with soda. Mm. So uh, in Jap Japanese, I guess you'd say tansan wadi. Right. Or soda wadi. And mm. Soda, uh, when you say soda, so like uh, club soda. That's right. Mm. And, uh, and that brightness, it, it almost, at that point, it really does taste like grape soda mm. because of the, you have the sparkle to it right. at that point. <laughs> right. Um, I noticed, though, in Japan, I think some people, soda mentioning sparkling water. They sometimes mix the, say, the soda wadi means sometimes sparkling water. So, do you do, do that too? Sparkling water? I, I'll use anything with, with bubbles in it as long as it doesn't have any flavor. Oh, okay. Right. And also, I heard, um, that was like the gin, as somebody who's making a gin. Well, he said, um, lower mineral contents. 
it's better for to mix with the, the spirits because it really accentuates the natural flavor of the spirits versus water. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, really, um, the water in Kyushu is so soft mm. that uh, you really want to use a soft water, both for your ice and for any dilution that you're using. Mm. Uh, fortunately, New York City has relatively soft water right. by, by U.S. standards, but relatively hard water by Japanese standards. Mm. <clears throat> right. Okay. So, well, this is it's interesting, right? The same cozy and different potato makes such a big difference. That's right. Right. So that's the lesson of number two. So that's uh, again, what's the name again? Benimo. Yamato Zakura Benimo. Mm. So the only distinction between the two is that it has a purple label rather than a white label. Mm. Uh, the Toji actually has a little bit of fun with it. He gives very little information on his labels about his products. This one does say Benimo at the at the top on the the top label, mm. but uh, the main label simply says Ichiki Shochu Yamato Zakura. Mm. So you are invited to ask questions and That's try. Right. Right. And um, by the way, are they sold in the U.S.? These are not available in the U.S. Oh, it's only available in, in Japan. That's right. Okay. Right. So I mean, invite listeners to visit Japan. And uh, <laughs> visit maybe, did, can they visit the, the distillery too? Yes. Actually, um, for some reason, Yamato Zakura has become a popular destination for inbound tourists, even though they don't have a tasting room or anything at all. Hmm. Part of it, I think, is tech on... Uh, Wakamatsu, the toji, is really, really welcoming and friendly. Mm. And um, for some reason, they've ended up on people's radar. So he's had visitors from Google, from Pixar. Wow. Um, a movie producer visited him. Like, he gets all sorts of people coming in, <laughs> just randomly walking in without huh. an appointment. Oh, wow. Is, is that okay that you can just... If he's home. <laughs> if he's there. It's a very small family business. Okay. So. Right. Okay. So, and the third one... Yeah, the third one, actually, you can't even have in Japan, so you're in for a treat. Wow, wow. Okay, so what is it? Okay, so this is actually, um, this was bottled as the shinshu of the shochu that we made last, uh, so last season, which would have been 2016. Mm. This is uh, the first black koji mm. uh, shochu from Yamato Zakura, uh, since at least the early 20th century. Oh, wow. And this was a collaboration between myself and Tekan mm. to make a new style in, in the style that I most enjoy. Mm. So you, you proposed the new style? That's or? right. Uh, so after my first year at the distillery, he and I were talking, sort of having a farewell drink, and he said, you should make your own brand. Mm. And I, that wasn't at all on my radar. I thought it was going to be a one-time thing that I would go work in the distillery, learn about shochu, <laughs> and then... Just, you know, come back to New York and continue my life. Um, but I, I enjoyed it so much. I mean, I know some people go to yoga camp or meditation or other things like that. For me, my vacation is really going and resetting my mind, working in the distillery, manual mm -hmm. labor. I mean, as a professor, I'm paid for thinking. Work, right? <laughs> right. And so to be able to actually do physical labor to make something that people enjoy is really rewarding. Mm. And I was hooked after the first year. And in the back of my mind, I thought that would be really cool if one day I could make my own shochu brand. Mm. And then he proposed it. Oh, wow. And I was kind of shocked. But then I came back the next year and he didn't talk about it. <laughs> and I realized that he was essentially 
making sure that I was dedicated. Mm. I, I came back the third year and he said, okay, next year we can make your shochu. Mm. And then, so last year, 2016, we, we made this. We actually aged it in clay, uh, in, which is a very traditional style. So I really wanted to make a traditional shochu. Mm. It's what I tend to enjoy most. So it's black koji, uh, kogane sengan, uh, aged in clay. The other unique part of it is it's organic rice and organic sweet potato, mm. which is really uncommon for shochu production. Uh, but because traditionally they didn't have access to fertilizers like we do today, the, uh, the, the commercial fertilizers right. and pesticides, I wanted to make something that was very natural. Mm. Almost as an experiment to see what it tasted like back then. <laughs> right. you know, Because none of that exists anymore. That shochu has been consumed. So um, that was the style we decided on. And it was the first time Tekan had ever worked with black koji. Mm. And black koji just grows everywhere. Oh, it's just robust. It is. It's a really, really strong organism. In fact, when I was back in the distillery this fall, when I was cleaning the floor of the koji room, I'd sweep up rice grains and it would still have black koji growing on it, even though he hasn't <laughs> used it since wow. November of 2016. Mm. So the black koji just really is really robust. And wow. so, but because he didn't know about it, he had to keep calling one of the other tojis at a, at a neighboring distillery to ask him questions about mm. temperature, time, all of these kinds of things. So it really was an experiment for both of us. And when we first tasted the fresh shochu coming off the still, it was really, really bitter. Mm. And that had me worried. <laughs> yeah, right. There shouldn't be that kind of specific taste. That's right. That's right. And so when I went back about six months later, I was back in Japan for some other things. And I visited the distillery again and tried it again. And it was still bitter. Mm. So I was doubly worried. And then this past fall when I was there for my fifth year... We tried it, and it was quite nice, hmm. which Just gave down. me relief. But then when we tried it on the rocks, it was bitter. Oh. <laughs> and what we realized, because we also made a white koji shochu uh, using the organic rice and sweet potatoes, uh, that also has some bitterness to it. So we believe that the bitterness is coming from the organic sweet potatoes. Because uh, they tend to be smaller, which means there's more skin to mm -hmm. flesh. Mm. And typically in, when you're processing sweet potatoes for shochu, you're cutting off the ends because the ends are bitter. Right. And so with smaller potatoes, perhaps you need to cut away more of the ends. Mm. But we weren't doing that. Right. Good lesson. That's right. right. So why don't we try? Sure. So, so this cheers. is actually... I think it's about 37.8% alcohol, so mm. quite a bit hotter. Okay. Hmm. Very clean. Wow. It's, um, it's not because of the alcohol. There's some very intense flavor, but it's clean. That's wow. Right. And, and this is actually unfiltered. So mm. what would actually, what will end up bottling will be filtered, but this is unfiltered because... They only have one filter at Yamato Zakura, mm. and he wasn't going to use but it. But does filtering, and you know, after this, going to be cleaner, or what's the? It will be magic? cleaner. You can mm. actually see how much uh, it's clinging to the side of the glass mm -hmm. relative to the others, and that's because of the oils that are still in here. Okay. Because it only goes through the still one time. Mm. There are a lot of amino acids and fatty acids right. that, that come through during mm. the distillation process, and those would be primary, uh, largely filtered out. Mm. So some of mouthfeel gets smoother. That's right. Right. But I think it should be good as it is, in my opinion. Wow. So that's the first 
next payment. Well, right. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So, so this, gonna... this will actually be released in Japan in uh, March mm. under the name Yamato Zakura Kanai. Okay. Wow. This is really balanced. This is a sweetness, but definitely it's kind of dry finish. You know, like the waves. This is amazing. Thank you. Congratulations. And we'll be diluting it as well. We won't be selling it at full. Okay, so I'm so honored. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> okay, so um, yeah. So speaking of those things, uh, you know the, I think uh, you took well before the show. We're talking about you know the show you are in charge of, and you have to use uh, new rice, fresh rice versus stored rice. That's right. So yeah. that was the distinction between uh, the. The usual process, which is the 12 to 15 hour day versus the tokubetsu or special shochu that we were making, we were using new uh, rice, so fresh rice, koshihikari from uh, Kagoshima. And uh, in, in sake production and in, in shochu production, after milling the rice to, to polish it, you let the rice sit for up to one, two, three months. And what that does is it allows the rice to dry to an even uh, moisture content in all mm. of the rice in the in the batch. Right. And with new rice, you're not allowing it to dry. Mm. And because of that, you get high, highly variable moisture content in the uh, in the rice that you're using. And as a result, the time that it takes to grow the koji is highly variable. Mm. And the distinction for what makes Yamato Zakura such a traditional shochu distillery is because the koji is still made by hand. In virtually all shochu distilleries today, they're using machines to make the koji because it's a component of the process, but it's not the not, not necessarily the chief component. Mm. Uh, unlike sake, where it's really not premium sake unless you're making the koji by hand. Mm. In shochu, a lot of companies use machines to make their koji. It saves them time, it saves them effort, and they can make much larger quantities. Mm. Uh, handmade koji... Uh, is a very labor-intensive process, mm. and you have to be patient. Right. So making koji basically means you buy seeds of koji, like baby koji, <laughs> right? That's right. And then I, I heard it's really hard to grow to make it um, do, like, a, you know, usable as a worker. That's right. Convert. So uh, Tekan is, is, pop, is uh, fond of saying koji is honest, because if you take any shortcuts or you make any mistakes, the koji is not going to reward you. Oh. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to take more time or it's not going to give you a robust bloom of the koji on the rice. Mm. It's not going to convert a lot of the, the starches to sugars and you're en going to end up with a lower alcohol yield. Mm. Uh, koji also imparts flavor. So if you don't have a robust koji mm. uh, starter for your first fermentation, you're not going to end up with as, uh, as nice of flavors mm. as you would otherwise. So in my own understanding you know like no need bread kind of thing so if you just don't need bread and let the yeast do its work the yeast power is maximized versus you know you like need and try to make facilitate the process it works but it's not the full potential explored i mean but, developed that's right it's the same thing if it's a patient and the hand grown koji so hand grown koji uh it is more uneven. The machines, they've, they've developed these machines in a way that they can really maximize their koji yield. Mm. Uh, but it's the same every time, which is good if you're making a mass-produced project mm -hmm. or product. But it also doesn't necessarily allow for the variation that you get from handcrafted products. Mm. So with the handmade sweet potato shochus, which I'm most familiar with, 
there are some distilleries where year by year the shochu tastes very different, even though they haven't changed the process. Mm. And it has to do with the quality of the ingredients and how well they made their koji, uh, how fresh the potatoes are, if it was a good harvest, a rainy, really rainy summer, a really dry summer. All of that changes the, the shochu year by year, mm. where larger companies are able to make a consistent product over and over and over again. Right. Okay. Right. And uh, so let's go back to the fresh rice versus stored kind of like, uh, you know, evenly moisturized rice. So what's the benefit of using the fresh rice? Uh, so the koshi hikari that we were using, because it's a premium rice and it's a fresh premium rice, it actually imparted a lot of flavor to the shochu mm. that you wouldn't get as much from a stored food okay. grade rice. Before it dies, it's uh, infused into the shochu. That's right. Oh, interesting. And, and then, of course, a, a higher price point, so you can charge more for it. <laughs> right. So is it common to use uh, the fresh rice in shochu making? For, for premium or, or tokubetsu special products, mm. uh, that's one of the ways that they can do that. Sometimes it would be using organic sweet potatoes or an heirloom sweet potato mm. or single single origin rice or sweet potatoes like from a single farm mm. is also another way of doing that so a number of ways that you can make something special or premium right. but it usually has to do with the origins of the rice or the sweet potatoes mm, okay and by the way the uh, what's the majority of the the shochu rice i mean what kind of uh, types you said koshihikari for this right that's right so most uh most shochu is made with simply uh food rice mm. uh I can't speak for larger makers. I don't know what they're using, but for the distilleries where I have worked, they tend to use a food grade rice, which is above an animal feed rice. Mm. Animal feed is like third grade. Uh, food rice is, like, I guess, second grade. And then sa sakamai, mm -hmm. the sa premium sake rice is the top grade. Mm. And so sakamai is used for some premium products, and, uh, but it tends to be food rice for shochu mm. because, again, the rice isn't necessarily the main ingredient. Right, because You're, it's distilled anyways. That's right. And you're also adding usually sweet potato, barley, one mm. of these other things to the, to the koji rice. Although a rice shochu, they tend to use higher quality rices uh, for rice shochu from Kumamoto. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Right. Okay. And uh, so... You did a lot of things at uh, Yamato Zakura. I think <laughs> you might start working for them, <laughs> like full-time, but um, I still want to have you here. So um, so what is the most challenging experience as an apprentice? So the, there are two things that are very difficult. Uh, actually, well, there are more than two, but let's start with two. Uh, one is the um, when you're making the koji, there's a process where you and this is part of what makes it handmade, you're hand-mixing the koji uh, into the rice. And this is done to very hot steamed rice, and you're trying to get the koji spores uh, to coat all of the rice grains in, this is a nearly, it's about 150 kilograms of rice. Mm -hmm. And you're also trying to cool the temperature down to the right temperature, but not too warm and not too cool. Mm. Because what you're going to do after that is you put all of this rice into a big pile, into a mountain, which we call the kojiyama, and mm. we put it into the koji room and we, we cover it with blankets and we tuck it in and we make it nice and hot and humid so it can rest. And that's how the koji propagates most efficiently. And if you don't get the temperature right during that process, uh, it's going to take the koji much longer to propagate or it may not propagate well at all. Mm. Um, and the reason that this is difficult for me is because I'm American. And at Yamato Zakoda, this is done on your knees 
essentially in a seiza position, which is deep knee flexion, Mm. as you're bending over this table and working this this rice by hand. And the reason they were using the low table is because they employ a lot of um, older women in this distillery because they're very rural and a very small business. And the older women are more comfortable in that position. Mm. And because of the height differential between the men and the women that work in the distillery, it's easy to just put everybody on the floor. But for me as a medium-sized American, I'm not in a position I'm used to. (laughs) And my knees and my back and my hips and everything starts aching after a day or two of doing that. Right. Sounds torturous. It's pretty torturous. Right. (laughs) So that's probably the hardest thing. Um, The most physically demanding is actually this one point which you're moving the sweet potatoes after they've been washed and trimmed, you're moving them into the steamer. And someone has to get up on top of the steamer with a rake and make sure all of the potatoes are flat inside the steamer. Mm -hmm. And it's just really, really rigorous work. And Mm -hmm. so I end up strengthening my back muscles quite a bit when I'm doing that. (laughs) It's like going to the gym every day. And there's actually this, um, there's this safety rail just past. So you have to do this. um, Again, we're on the radio, but as you're raking, you're raking uh, in a way where your right elbow is coming back. But Mm -hmm. behind you on your right side is a safety railing. And if you bang your elbow (laughs) (laughs) railing, it it hurts quite a bit. (laughs) How many times did you do? (laughs) Um, More than I can count. Okay. Wow. So it sounds like you are surrounded by good people as well. So it's it's hard, but you had a good time. Yes. Th- I've been working with some of the um, the older women, I guess we can call them Obachan, mm-hmm. for, uh, for the past five years. And one of them is really fond of telling me, it was nice to work with you. I'll probably be dead next year. So nice <laughs> knowing you. <laughs> Not that every year she should keep saying. That's right. Probably. Because she's the oldest. I think she's 75. She's been working at the distillery for 16 years. Wow. After she retired from her job as a cook in the hospital, hmm. the local hospital. And her knife skills are amazing. She, her job is to trim the sweet potatoes. And she can go through about four baskets of sweet potatoes in the time it takes me to do one. Really? Wow. Well, sounds like uh, working at a distillery. And keeps you going and maybe keeps you healthy. She also bikes 10 kilometers each way to work oh, wow. during the season. She's, I call her uh, Genki Obachan because mm. she's really energetic. Right. Well, it's, a, it's an environment uh, for centurions maybe. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll talk about uh, Stephen's new book about Japanese drinking culture. So please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American, and that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. 
Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table, be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Needs, broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and my guest today is Stephen Lyman, who is a shochu expert and shochu ambassador. So um, let's talk about your exciting book about Japanese drinking culture. Uh, first of all, how did you end up writing a book about Japanese alcohol beverages? Uh, so I discovered a book called Drinking Japan by uh Writer named Christopher Bunting, Chris Bunting. He was a journalist for Japan Times in Tokyo, and he'd written essentially a traveling guide to Japanese alcohol, a traveler's guide. And、uh, nobody buys travel guides anymore.、Mm-hmm. And so, what it, the, the book unfortunately was released、uh, just as the、uh, Tohoku earthquake happened.、Mm-hmm. And he actually ended up donating a portion of the proceeds to the, the Tohoku earthquake victims. Uh, but by the time tourism recovered in Japan after that disaster,、uh, nobody was buying travel guides anymore. So the book really wasn't、uh, well、mm. received. And so I had contacted him at one point about doing an update of the book because I thought that there was a place for it. Because a lot of the bars that he recommended in the book had actually closed in the inv- intervening years.、Uh. Um, the trouble with popular bars in Japan or famous bars in Japan is they tend to have been around for a long time. And because of, I guess, the economic climate, Young、mm. people don't want to take over family businesses so much anymore.、Mm. It's a pretty rare thing, especially bars or restaurants, because that's hard work. Right. And so there's often nobody left to take over these businesses. And so a lot of them、uh, went out of business when, when the owners retired. And so、uh, the idea that I had had for him was just do a version two and update the book with new bars,、mm. new bar recommendations. And、uh, he said, Well, I've actually moved back to England and I don't really have time to do that anymore. but... I'm happy to write it with you.、Mm. And so、uh, he and I kind of brainstormed it. We pitched it to the publisher, and the publisher wasn't interested because nobody buys travel guides anymore. Right, because it's a click on something、exactly. and a Google it, you can get anything. Yeah, our、yeah. travel guides are in our pockets now with our、right. phones. So,、um, but, so we, we kind of batted ideas back and forth with the publisher. And what the publisher actually wanted me to write was an Izakaya cookbook.、Mm. Um, But I was really committed to writing a book about、uh, Japanese alcohol because I do love izakaya, but I also have a love for Japanese alcohol.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, so, what Chris and I ended up pitching to the publisher was that we would do a complete reimagining of, of the book concept using some of his original material, but then repositioning it as a Japanese beverage guide.、Mm-hmm. So, it will have much more information about the history, the cultural aspects, the process for making it, and recommended brands. With very few bar recommendations. And the bar recommendations will actually be global.、Mm. So, in world cities around、uh, North America, Europe,、uh, Australia, Asia,、mm. where you can find excellent collections or selections of Japanese alcohols will, will be recommended、That's、in the book. That's interesting. So, it doesn't matter where you are, you should be able to find a place to drink pretty、right. close by. It's a building kind of community, too. Right. Okay. And, and so the, the, the new book actually will be called Japan Drinks. So instead of Drinking Japan, it will be Japan Drinks. At least that's our working title.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, the idea is to break it into、uh, washu, or Japanese alcohol traditions, and yoshu, or、mm-hmm. Western alcohol traditions that have been adapted to Japan. And so the first half of the book is essentially an introduction to the history and culture of Japanese drinking. And then、uh, chapters on sake, shochu, 
awamori from Okinawa and mm. umeshu, mm. Uh, really any fruit, uh, fruit-based uh, Japanese alcohols. And then the second half of the book will be Japanese whiskey, Japanese beer, Japanese wine, mm. and uh, cocktail culture. Wow. Interesting. So. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. And uh, how do you gather information for the book? Because knowing you are a researcher, <laughs> professional researcher, you must be working hard to make it everything thorough. Yes. So I've, uh, on my last trip to Japan, after working in Yamato Zakoda for three weeks, I actually took a two-week tour which I traveled to 13 different prefectures to visit distilleries, breweries, and to visit bars that had been recommended to me by people that I know, uh, both in the alcohol industry and in Japan, to try to come up with a fresh take on all of this information that was in the original book so that it doesn't feel like you're buying the second edition, you're buying something completely new. Mm. I, I also, it's interesting because I, I loved the way that Chris wrote the first book, but that was his voice. And so I'm really trying to put my own voice to it. And that mm. ends up, I was actually a history major okay. before all of this. Ah. And so I tend to love the historical details of, of a lot of this. So I've discovered some really, really interesting stories that mm. uh, hopefully people will really enjoy. Stories. I think, uh, you know, all alcohol beverages, it's really great, but on its own, but the taste. But if you have stories, it changes the whole spectrum of tasting too. Yeah. One of my favorite experiences on my uh, recent research trip was uh, visiting a uh, sake brewery in uh, Nara Prefecture. And I really wanted to go to Nara because of Bodai Moto uh, sake, which is a really, really traditional style of sake mm. uh, production. It actually predated uh, Kimoto. Mm. And uh, Bodai Moto is only made in Nara. And okay. I had learned about it from Jamie Graves, who's uh, mm. a good friend of mine. Who um, He's a Skernik uh, sake expert. That's right. He's the uh, portfolio manager for Skernik, uh, the Japanese beverage portfolio manager mm. for Skernik Wines. He uh, introduced me to Bodai Moto, recommended a restaurant I visit when I go to Nara. It ended up being amazing. It's actually the opening chef from Kajitsu, mm. opened Tsukumo. And okay. then got two Michelin stars within six months. And right, so Kajitsu is really uh, the only shojin uh, vegetarian Japanese zen cooking in New York City. That's right. Right. So, and at uh, his restaurant, I was able to try local nara bodaimoto sake. Mm. And I just fell in love with the style. Wow. It's really effervescent and uh, because it's using uh, natural uh, lactic acid bacteria in the mm. production process. Okay. So it's very much like... Uh, Kimoto or Yamahai style sake. Uh, but I decided as part of this book, I really wanted to introduce this Bodaimoto style. And so I asked Tekan if he knew any Nara sake makers. Mm. And he introduced me to the Toji at uh, Yucho Shuzo mm. in Nara. And Tekan was very specific. He said, This is a Kansai person, not a Kyushu person. You need to be very polite. You need to be on time. <laughs> you have to be respectful of his time. Right. He really lectured me because Kyushu people tend to be very, it's, it's, Mm. Local southern Japan, and it's mm. it's very casual. Right. <laughs> and Kansai is very strict, right? Right. And I get there, and I'm nervous because I have to be mm. very polite, and I have to use respectful Japanese, and I have to, you know, <laughs> all these things I'm not used to doing down in Kyushu. And this toji ends up spending three hours with me, wow. hand-drawing the history of sake. Wow. I could not have asked for a better experience, and it was completely unexpected, but I felt like I learned more from him in those three hours than I knew about sake previously. Wow. Um, and just having those kinds of experiences has really made this quite a journey mm. to explore this book. Right. Well, we really cannot wait. So, um, so of course, that, that thing, the Bodai Moto, is going to be in the book too, right? So when it's going to be published? I so I have to deliver uh, the 
final copy in June of this year uh, for release, I believe, in time for Christmas. I don't know exactly when they'll publish it. Mm, good Christmas presents. Hi. Oh, good luck. Thank you. And uh, so I also heard that uh, you're planning to publish a shochu newsletter. Yes. Uh, so I'm... Actually, I have a number of different projects that I'm trying to, to get off the ground, and one of them is a newsletter for consumers, which will be a companion to the Kampai US uh, mm. website. And then also I'm trying to get information uh, to the makers and to uh, the Japanese government about how to uh, target uh, the US market for shochu, because mm. I, I feel like there's so much potential for the category. And it's important for the industry, which is shrinking. So I think... Like the sake industry is very uh, reliant on the growth of U.S. market, which is a third of the whole export of sake abroad. That's right. And uh, the U.S. actually, the shochu imports to the U.S. Are, are a tiny fraction of U.S. spirit sales. And yet it still represents about, uh, I think it's about 10 to 20 percent of shochu export. Mm. We're actually the second largest uh, shochu uh, export country, mm. or I guess import country, uh, China being the largest, and then uh, the U.S., uh, distant second, but still far ahead of any other country. So mm. uh, the expansion of shochu in the U.S. is critically important to the shochu makers. Yamato Zakoda, I think, has been really fortunate that their sales continue to increase. Mm. As a very small family-run business, they can only make so much shochu. They actually make about one-third as much shochu in a year mm. as some of the large producers make in a day. Okay. So they really can't make more than what they make. Mm. And their sales continue to increase. Right. Do you think it's because of the style of a white koji or just a high quality taste? I think people have started to appreciate the quality of handmade shochu. Mm. And the, uh, the Toji Tekan actually has hit on, I think, a very unique branding style. Uh, he used to actually work in marketing in Tokyo before his father called him home ah. to run the business. And so he's had a very good sense of design of um, of how to promote his brand. And he also has made it a premium product by simply not allowing it to be sold anywhere. Mm. He, he actually chooses where to sell it rather than the sellers choosing to sell it. Right, rather than keep it out of control once it leaves. That's right. And right. the actually, the um, I'd mentioned that we had tried the f uh, main brand earlier. That's actually the last uh, label that was ever designed by the same designer who created the Nika Whiskey label. Oh, wow. I don't remember his name right now, but... Uh, <laughs> That's mm. a feather in their cap as a brand because Japanese people actually are very drawn to who the designer was for labels for sake and shochu. Mm. And uh, so they ended up with actually the last design from that designer before he died. Really? Wow. Interesting. Right. So, wow, it's just amazing that, um, you know, the whole details of industry, which is not known, but you are telling our listeners. So, yeah, it's just a... Thank you for doing that, because I really want to support. I keep hearing, you know, I did some seminars in Japan about the American market to those sake and shochu producers. They're really passionate, good people, try to preserve the tradition, but they have no clue. So I think you are creating a bridge for them. I hope so. You know, for sake and for shochu, there used to be many, many more producers than there are today. Uh, and I think... You know, without a robust export market, I think a lot more of the producers are at risk of going out of business. Mm. And I think the most at risk are the smallest makers. Mm. You know, I really do worry about uh, Yamato Zakoda and some of the other companies that they have long-term sustainability if they can't find a market uh, for export. 
just given the realities of the demographics of Japan. Mm. So your newsletter is going to be very useful. That's a practical information. Great. Okay. And uh, also, uh, you hold monthly short events in New York City and other cities in the country. So what, what are they? That's right. So I host what I call Show Tuesday. Uh, so my introduction to Shochu was on a Tuesday night at an izakaya in Chelsea called uh, Izakaya Ten, which is now Juban.、Mm-hmm. It's still the same concept, but it's different ownership. So they changed the name to Juban, which means number ten.、Mm-hmm. Uh, but they still host their Shochu Tuesday specials, which is twenty dollars off a bottle of Shochu. And I took that concept and I、uh, made it my own happy hour. And so I try to do happy hours on Tuesday nights. Unless the bars or izakayas ask for it to be on a different night.、Mm. So, we actually have one tonight, which is a Monday,、mm-hmm. at Uminoye in the、uh, East Village, which is my favorite shochu bar in New York.、Uh, very nice shochu selection. The owner's from Nagasaki, and,、uh, which is part of Kyushu,、mm. where shochu is made. And、uh, it really feels like Japan in, in Uminoye. And so, tonight we're introducing Oyuwari shochu, the hot water shochu.、Mm. So, what I try to do with these happy hours is introduce a new style. Either a new style of shochu, so sweet potato or barley or rice, or a, a service style, so with hot water, with cold water, with soda.、Mm. Uh, and so, because it's pretty chilly out there today, we decided to make this month's theme Oyuwadi、mm. or hot water. And I'll be doing service demonstrations as well so people can learn how to do it at home. Right. Well, especially, you know, the temperature adjustment. Even to me, it's very, you know, I grew up in Japan, but I didn't like, how do I do that properly? It's really hard. So that sounds very useful. Yeah. So I actually will be bringing my infrared thermometer to,、okay. to monitor water temperatures tonight as, as I,、oh, as I wow. serve the shochu to make sure that it's not too hot and not too cold.、Hmm, interesting. High tech. Wow. That's the scientist in me, I guess. Right. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're a medical scientist.、So. Okay. And、uh, so you also told me that, you know, before the show, you're. Planning to go to Japan again and then learning what's called sakekas shochu.、So、that's right. So, there's a really interesting style that I don't know much about, and that's kasutori shochu, which is、uh, made with sake kasu. So, from、mm. the leftover solids after sake production, the sake lees,、uh, are, were traditionally used for fertilizer、uh, for rice planting. The trouble being that if there's alcohol, residual alcohol in the lees, that's toxic to the roots of the rice、mm. that you're trying to grow. And so, sake brewers all over Japan used to distill the、uh, kasu to get the alcohol out of it. But they were using, primarily using that alcohol for medicinal purposes. Some people were drinking it.、Um, but kasutori shochu was a relatively popular style, but they'd only so- sell it in the local communities.、Mm. But then, as sake kasu became popular for makeup, as a food product,、mm. and all these other things,、uh, kasutori shochu fell out of favor. Also, because in,、uh, after World War II, There was a lot of、um, corrupt alcohol being made,、mm-hmm. and everyone was you know, desperately poor. And the alcohol that was being made illicitly was start- people started to call it kasutori shochu.、Mm. And so it actually became known as kasutori culture, which meant like the underworld、mm. or like、uh, the, the gangs and prostitution and all of that sort of thing. Black,、uh, the black market, all of that became kasutori culture. And so the So, the concept of kasutori shochu took a huge hit.、Mm. And so, nobody wanted to drink it anymore because they thought it was bad. Right. And so, some of the、uh, shochu makers, especially those in northern Kyushu that make both sake and shochu, have started to make kasutori again as a style.、Mm. So, kasutori basically means,、um, I kind of like mix up、uh, sake kasu shochu and kasutori shochu. So, sake kasu shochu, 
I think, uh, well, the, the sake kasu means uh, sake leaves. That's right. Right? And a kastori, you know, what's the difference between sake kasu and kastori shochu? I, I think that's interchangeable. Okay. Right. So, so basically, out of all those 50 ingredients, you can add sake kasu, like sake leaves as an ingredient. So it's oh, actually a, a little bit different, and I'll know more after my trip. Okay. Uh, I'll be working for two days in Kitaya Shuzo in Fukuoka mm. to learn how to make kasutori shochu. Kitaya makes lovely sake, mm. uh, award-winning uh, sake, uh, but they also make kasutori shochu. So I'll be spending two days at the distillery learning how to make it. Mm. As I understand it, you're simply taking the leftover sake solids and mm. you're distilling that. There's mm. no additional fermentation process, okay. as far as I know. Mm. Um, because it, the I believe that the... The residual kasu has about 8% alcohol left in it. Oh, okay. So once you distill it, you're just drawing the alcohol out of that with steam. Mm. And that's what you end up bottling. Okay. But I'll know much more right. uh, after my visit to Japan. Mm. Uh, but it's interesting, like, uh, it's just the sake leaves have toxic elements. Is that really true? No, it's the alcohol that's toxic to the roots of the plants. Oh, okay, right, right. They don't so like you have alcohol. to, right, right. So, so you have to remove the alcohol. And then the kasu is actually a very good fertilizer. Mm. So, right. so that's the idea. So you would actually be using the kasutori shochu kasu mm. to use that as fertilizer. Interesting. Uh, and Fukuoka, actually, one of the reasons I want to visit Kitaya is in Fukuoka, they have a very traditional style in which they actually do a second, they do another fermentation with the kasu and rice bran. Mm. So they take the, the leftover, uh, af- after the polishing, the rice bran that's left, that goes into the fermentation. And that gives it a much richer flavor. Mm. And uh, so that's a specific style of kasutori shochu from Fukuoka. And so I'm hoping to learn more about right. that as well. And in Japanese culture, sake kasu, sake leaves is always a source of umami, enhancing umami. And, uh, you know, like a muskade, that's another thing that's used on leaves. So I can't wait. <laughs> and maybe you can uh, bring back some uh, the sake kasu, kasutori shochu. I hope and, so. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so... Um, what kind of uh, restaurants and bars can you recommend for now? Like anywhere here in New York City or in Japan or what would you recommend? Uh, <laughs> so I um, obviously Uminoye, which I mentioned earlier, is one of my favorite shochu bars. Uh, they have really nice uh, izakaya food, very small kitchen. Mm. Uh, sit at the bar, sit at the counter and okay. have a conversation with the chef because the chef's actually behind the bar okay. cooking. Huh. Um, and then... My good friend John McCarthy. So Uminoye, it's a U-M-I-N-O-I-E, Uminoye, in East right. Village. That's right. So it actually means beach house or mm. beach shack. Right. Um, and so they have a kind of a beach theme. Uh, the owner from Nagasaki is actually from Goto. It's an island off, mm. off the coast of Nagasaki. Uh, and I think that's where the beach theme came from. Her father actually makes udon. Uh-huh. in Goto and mails it to her and wow. she serves it in the restaurant. It's really fantastic. I've never been, I have to go. <laughs> Definitely. Right. And then uh, John McCarthy, uh, who trained under Wiley Dufresne, actually just opened Oka. Mm, in, he was my guest. Yes, he was. Why to go. And he, he opened Oka, which is an um, Izakaya-inspired restaurant in, uh, in Murray Hill. He's been careful not to call it an Izakaya mm-hmm. uh, because he's using modernist cooking techniques and that sort of thing to make right. his food really delicious food and he has a great shochu list uh and sake and some really nice japanese whiskeys he's got a strong cocktail program right. i've been there and uh well just say you, you mentioned the molecular elements but it's not you don't see it and it's very interesting unique take on japanese flavor in western looking things and you don't believe how traditional it actually tastes 
So and a good ambience, and I really think it's a great place to be. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's Oka, OKA. 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 Yeah, my my places in Japan are going to remain secret for now. Mm. <laughs> They're right. really small and hard to get into anyway. And if I told people about it, maybe yeah, I couldn't, couldn't get my own reservations. Well, <laughs> okay. Um, all right. And it's going to be the book. That's right. right. Some of them will be revealed in there. Mm. Okay. So, uh, so this last question. So how, you know, as uh, the Shoujo ambassador, how do you predict the future of Shoujo market outside Japan? So I see signs of hope. And, and uh, that's primarily in the high-proof category in uh so shochu as i mentioned before most shochu is is bottled at 20 to 25 percent alcohol in the japanese market but what i've seen here in the states is over the last i believe it's three years there's been a close to 300 percent increase in the sales of high proof shochu so i would say high proof is 35 percent alcohol or more mm. and i think this is an increasing recognition of shochu as a legitimate base for cocktails by bartenders mm. especially in new york and california uh, i was actually at a super bowl party last night and i met a uh, bartender at the Spotted Pig who actually has a shochu cocktail on the menu at the Spotted Pig. Spotted Pig? You don't you imagine they, they carry Japanese very ritual spirits. That's right. If you would have told me five years ago that we'd have a shochu cocktail on the menu at the Spotted <laughs> Pig, I would have thought you were crazy. So right. I, there's definitely an increased recognition. When I first started my happy hours, uh, when customers would come in and I hadn't seen them before, I'd ask them, you know, if you tried shochu before, you, and they'd say, sure, I had it at a Korean restaurant. I had it with Korean barbecue. Mm. And that, of course, is Korean soju. Uh, which is a very different product despite similar names. Uh, but what's increasingly happening now is when I ask that question, they say, yes, I like sweet potato, or yes, I like barley. Mm. Or, you know, people are now aware of the category, right. um, which either I'm doing a better job promoting it mm. or shochu itself is growing. Uh, even well, I think I keep hearing your name in this industry, so I think you, that's what you, <laughs> your job too. Right. I'm, I'm trying. Mm. <laughs> Right. So, um, well, that's interesting. Like, um, higher proof, 35%. Once you pass that level of alcohol, you can mix and it stands out without being hidden by other ingredients in cocktails. That's right. That's right. And, you know, when when I first started drinking shochu, I think I was aware of one brand in the States that was higher proof. Mm -hmm. And now I believe there are eight to ten brands okay. uh, available. Uh, and across the spectrum, which is nice. You know, it's originally there was just one sweet potato shochu that I was aware of. It was high proof. Mm. Uh, Tenshi no Yuwaku, which is a barrel-aged sweet potato shochu. Okay. Uh, but highly premium. It's a very expensive product. Uh, it's eight years aged in uh, sherry casks. Mm. So, you know, not at all a, an, an affordable price point. Uh, but now there's quite a bit more in the market. Um, mm. Mizu shochu, which I believe you had Jesse Fallowitz on yeah, your show as well. Right is a, a barley shochu, and now they've released a, a lemongrass. Mm, uh, that's 35%. Those are, those are 35% alcohol. The lemongrass tastes like fresh lemongrass. It's really mm. remarkable. And that, I believe, is what's being used at the Spotted Pig, is oh, the, okay. the lemongrass. Interesting. Uh, so it's starting to grow, and mm. uh, I do have hope that it's going to continue. Right. So you are the biggest cheerleader, so keep going, Stephen. So, um, yeah, so thank you for joining us today. I, mean, I know you're so busy. And you're going back to Japan very soon, right? That's right. I'll be there on, well, flying out on Thursday, arriving on Friday. Mm, okay. So have fun. Great. Thank you. I will. Okay. And also, where can we find your events and other information, updates? Uh, so I'd say Instagram and Twitter. It's at Kampai US. So cheers in Japanese is Kampai, but I spell it with an M K A M P A I US. Mm -hmm. US. Uh, okay. So US is the website, but at Kampai US on Twitter or Instagram oh, is the okay. handle. Right, sure, sure. Right. And then uh, you can also visit my website. And then we have a Facebook group that's called Kampai. Mm. Uh, and the Facebook group always has the events posted. Uh, and then you can just 
reach out to me if you're curious for more information. Right. Okay, great. All right. So thank you so much again. Thank you very much. Okay, so uh, listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for shows, topics, or guests, please contact us at japaneeds at heritageradionetwork.org or kikokadema.com. And Japanese is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and uh, Spotify as a podcast. And our engineer today was David Tatasiore, and thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>